Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. It's interesting to me that I was on sort of this kick about how the media does not get it right long before the murder of my friend's son. So we cover it here again. This interview happened before the murder of my friend's son. So as you listen, keep that in mind. I have Dr. Jessica Taylor, the author of Why Women Are Blamed for Everything and the newly released Sexy But Psycho. She has a PhD in forensic psychology and is the director of Victim Focus. Welcome, Dr. Taylor. Thank you so much for having me. Dr. Taylor is amazing, and I'm going to have her start by introducing her organization, Victim Focus, and then also talking a little bit about her books. Victim Focus is six years old. We work all over the world. Primarily, we're like research, training, consultancy. At victimfocus.com, we have tons of free resources you know of understanding abuse misogyny violence grooming uh, sexual violence domestic abuse assault harassment victim blaming rape myths beliefs narratives stereotypes it's you know i wanted to create this hub of just everything that could be useful to women and girls who've been subjected to male violence so that's what it's become and it's just growing and growing and growing and then as part of that i wrote why women are blamed for everything after I did my PhD and the PhD in forensic psychology specialized in the psychology of victim blaming of women and girls who've been subjected to male violence and how women and girls are like convinced to self-blame as well and the trauma that that obviously then compounds because you've already been through so much and then you've got this added level of victim blaming from maybe your friends your family your ex-partner whoever it was Uh, even services and professionals and then on top of that you've got almost like this social grooming for you to take responsibility for what happened I wrote why women are blamed for everything because of that and then after that I wrote sexy but psycho why women blame for everything looks at the psychology of victim blaming and self-blame of women all around the world sexy but psycho looks at the way that we convince women and girls that they are mentally ill when they are trying to disclose abuse, trauma, violence, rape, assault, child abuse. It's very, very common for you to be, you know, reframed as 
having a personality disorder or mentally ill. So that's what Sexy But Psycho is about. And then this week on Monday, we released the item, which is the first ever trauma-informed manual of mental health that has absolutely no disorders or medicalized language in it and it's like an a to z of every possible trauma response and coping mechanism that is likely to happen when you've been through trauma so it's been a wild journey i started doing you know tv and netflix and stuff a couple of years ago and generally speaking if i'm commissioned to do tv which is i do probably two or three series a year now it's because a producer has usually asked for like a victim voice, like somebody who will stand up for the women in that documentary because that happens so little and there's so much true crime type doc stuff out at the moment and it just sensationalizes violence against women and girls like murder and rape. And there's very rarely a voice like mine that's constantly reminding the the viewer, the audience that, this is what it would have been like for this woman and this is how terrified she would have been and this is why she felt like this. So it's been amazing to do that as well. That's wonderful. I'm so grateful that you're doing that. And I wish more people would do that. Right now I'm on sort of this kick where, at least in America currently, a lot of the news will say there was a domestic disturbance, like they were having a fight. Yeah, yeah. And then he killed her rather than saying he was abusive. Yep. And he killed her. And then it's interesting because at the bottom of that article, they'll say, like, call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline as if calling a number, you know, I mean, it will help for sure. But those of us who have dealt with it and are living it, we've called those numbers, you know, and it was not as helpful as people think that it's going to be. But even just the reporting of it prior to linking to that at the bottom is very misogynistic and sort of like the alleged or... She was a part of it somehow. Well, I I call that mutualizing, uh, mutualizing and neutralizing because it's like, you know how you just gave the example of like they are having a fight or it is a domestic. It's like it reframes this whole system of power and control and abuse from one person to the other as this mutual, neutral, almost like a relationship problem that is almost, I don't know if you ever hear people say, oh, it's like six of one and half a dozen of the other. It's like, oh, you know, it's it, they're as bad as each other type narrative. And that's absolutely not true in abuse. There is the point of abuse like this is that it is systematic. It's about power and control. It's about the perpetrator getting something out of controlling destroying breaking down that woman it's not mutual but the language like you know the examples you just gave minimizes it and trivializes it doesn't it I'm so grateful for women like you who are sounding the alarm about this why do you think it took some of us so long to understand what was actually happening for example that when we said hey this is what's going on. And then instead of people listening, they accused us. But we didn't figure that out for a long time. When I say we, I just mean women in general, like from the beginning of time. (laughs) I feel like now there are many, many women who understand this and they can see it for what it is. But there are also so many women who still can't and therapists and institutions and court systems and others that cannot see it. Why do you think it took so long for some of us to recognize what was happening? I think there's multiple answers to this. I mean, the first answer for me is that we are groomed from birth as women and girls 
to tolerate, accept, minimize, normalize, and even sexualize the violence and abuse and power that's used against us. And that is a insidious, careful, global, considered process. And it's very successful, which means that lots of women and girls grow up in abusive households. They're abused by dads, granddads and uncles and brothers, which my research has shown repeatedly, you know, that brothers and and dads are very likely to be the first perpetrators against a woman or girl. And then you go on and get into these relationships and these men and teenage boys then dehumanize you, harm you, abuse you, assault you, rape you, whatever it is. But you have been so successfully groomed from birth that it's either normal or that if they do these things, it's your fault. You must have caused them to do that. Um, And so you internalize it over a period of time. There is nothing to sound the alarm about. There's nothing to disclose. There's nothing to report because to you, that's your normal. That's your life. And lots of women listening will recognize that sort of at some point, all of us have been in a situation like this when you if you've been through this, which I'm assuming lots of your listeners and you and me like mm-hmm. have, have been through male violence where you don't even know you're in it. Like you're living in it every day and you're to some extent, like your life is at risk. Like some of the violence and the abuse can be life changing. And yet you still haven't really clicked in to what it is you're living in and how it's deliberate, it's systematic, it, you know, the perpetrator, your partner or your ex wants that to happen. They're enjoying it. They're taking something from it. And so it takes a long time. The other thing I think that may, means that it takes ages for us to click in and to realize what's going on is that perpetrators will often do a great job of convincing you that it's you with the problem. They will gaslight you. They will reframe you as mentally disordered, that you don't remember things right, that you overreact, that you're overemotional, that you're hysterical, you know, and so you will very often question everything that's ever happened to you. Like, did it really happen like that? Or like, am I am I overthinking it? Am I overanalyzing what he just said? Or like, was it really as bad as I'm making out? Maybe I've remembered it wrong. Maybe he's right. And I think that we have created over millennia a culture of convincing women that they're just mentally inferior and they don't remember things right, they don't understand things, they're over-emotional, they overreact to everything, and it means that we second-guess everything. Here at BTR, we focus on emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. Not that that doesn't involve physical assault at some point or another, because it can, But we want to focus on that because I feel like it's easier to see the physical abuse, even if you don't understand it. For example, if someone punches a wall, right, you might not think you're being physically intimidated per se or that that's physical abuse, but it is. So people can be living in that. Women can be living in that and not recognize it. And the emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion is so difficult to see because it's all of those manipulation tactics and deceit. And so for so long, because you weren't necessarily getting punched in the face or, you know, tied up or something like that, I would say most of our listeners are in that category where they haven't necessarily been punched in the face or experienced physical violence This type of emotional violence of trying to completely dismantle somebody's reality is extremely emotionally violent and it's extremely psychologically abusive. And 
that is what is so concerning to me. It also is concerning to me that you never have physical violence without emotional and psychological abuse. You know, it ramps up and it starts from psychological and emotional abuse. So if women can recognize the psychological and emotional abuse, my hope is they can get to emotional and psychological safety, which is super important, but that's also the foundation of safety. Because if you're psychologically safe and emotionally safe, chances are you're also going to be physically safe as well. I mean, maybe not, but my audience is people who are being abused by their partners. So I guess I'm not talking about like on the street, some random person coming up to you, right? So if your partner, if your husband is going to physically abuse you, you can know they've also emotionally and psychologically abused you. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, even if you've been physically assaulted, the likelihood is that they've already sort of set the scene for that behavior anyway through emotional manipulation and coercion. And then once they've committed that assault, they will then slip right back into that emotional and psychological manipulation. Or continue it, yeah. Absolutely. In order to either cover what they've done or convince you it wasn't that bad or to convince you not to tell anybody or that you actually led them to do that, that you pushed their buttons, that they wouldn't have behaved like that if it wasn't for what you said or what you did or, you know, all that sort of stuff that's going to go on. But I identify very much with what, you, with what you're saying as well from um, obviously from a professional perspective as a psychologist, but also from a personal perspective, because the marriage that I was in years ago was generally not at all physically abusive. There was a couple of incidents towards the end and, and then I left, but actually it was years and years of almost just total mental destruction. And I was lucky that my coping mechanism was studying and reading books and working. And like, I had this little escape, but I think once he figured out that that was the escape, that was what he started attacking. So it was this constant, like, oh, you think you're so clever. Why are you always reading those books? You think you're so good. You think you're going to be something and nobody really likes you. You're never going to go anywhere. You know, nobody's going to be your friend and it was like this like if I ever made a new friend it was like oh she probably doesn't even like you she probably feels sorry for you and it's this constant trying to break you down piece by piece and and for a lot of women that have also lived through that it stays with you that stuff for a long time you know you question yourself it affects your self-esteem it affects the way that you understand yourself it um, affects your confidence in your own judgment and in your you know, even things like your ambition, your dreams, your decision making, it changes your worldview, it changes your view of self and of your relationships and makes you question things about yourself and about, you know, people who do care about you and stuff, because somebody has like constantly got in your head that you're not worthy, or you're worthless, or you're not good enough, or you're stupid, or you're ugly, or no one will ever want you. And in a way, I get what you mean about it's almost like, for even people that are going to really struggle to identify that they're being abused, if you've been punched in the face or if you've been, you know, if something very physical has happened, there is something very tangible about that. But when you are constantly being gaslit and emotionally manipulated and you're being put down and belittled and laughed at and being made to feel like you're going crazy it almost sometimes feels like you've got no evidence. Like you can't really prove any of it and that nobody's going to listen. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there. 
but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote-unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. For listeners of this podcast, there's some very insidious types of abuse too that I would say the the type of emotional abuse that you're describing is also, I mean, it's very hard to see when you're in it, Yeah, but that's also can be kind of obvious, right? If someone's saying you're stupid or you're ugly or something, there there's these really subtle ways of emotional and psychological abuse. Like, I love you so much and I care about you and I'm just really worried about you. Oh, yeah. You haven't been remembering things correctly. Or I'm concerned because, you know, I know our family is our top priority. And as you read these books, and in my case, um, a lot of victims that listen to my podcast, their husbands will say to them, I know you care about our family. And ever since you started listening to this podcast, it's been damaging to our family. And so very, very subtle ways of maintaining the status quo and not having her see what's really going on. Here's a really good example that I heard recently. In my particular faith, you can say certain things that kind of like, in general, the culture is like, oh, I know what's going on, you know, and it might not be true. But one man, he called all of his wife's friends and all of her family and everyone and said, could you please pray for her? She's really struggling right now with her faith, which wasn't true at all. But all he had to do was say that and to all the friends and family and say she just needs extra prayers because she's really struggling with her faith. And, you know, she's feeling really apart from God right now. And so she could really use your help. And that was so undermining to who she was, to what she was trying to do. Because then as she went to friends and family for help, they were like, oh, if you're struggling with your faith, maybe that's why you want to leave. Maybe that's why you're saying this stuff. Because he's such a nice guy and he wants everyone to pray for you. So these really subtle ways. I am concerned with abusers who are learning healthy ways of talking through therapy, through books, they're weaponizing it, but they sound like they're saying the right thing sometimes. And it is intended to continue to oppress women. And that's what we see here a lot. And that's the main thing I want to like warn women about, because even the like flat out, you're never going to do anything, you know, stuff that's awful. And sometimes you can't see that. This other stuff is so subtle and so coercive and almost impossible to see sometimes until you take a step back and look at their actions and look at what they are doing. Yeah, I think this is fascinating because I think you're talking about, as you say, like a level of skill here and intelligence here from the on the perpetrator's side where they're either learning to mirror as you say like healthy ways of communicating where they're actually weaponizing them very successfully or they are generally quite intelligent you know sort of people anyway so they've learned over a period of time as a perpetrator that they don't need to use physical violence to have total control and to completely destroy somebody and keep them exactly where they are. Because for some perpetrators like that, they know not to cross that line as well. They know that if they were to leave a mark on you or to do something physical, 
that would all kind of give you a way out and like you would be able to identify what was happening but if they can just keep you in this place that is constantly undermining you but like doing it in a way where you can't even completely be sure that that's what they're doing that is a really difficult place to live as as a woman you know that you can't figure out exactly what it is that's happening to you because you're not a hundred percent sure that is happening at all and in terms of how this relates to my work the closest that I can sort of get to this and my experience is that I see a lot of men that do the whole telling the family telling the doctor telling the counsellor whatever you know I'm really worried about my wife I think she's struggling with her mental health you know, I really think that she needs to get some support and she really needs to be, I think we all need to support her and we need to be there for her because she's really struggling at the moment. And um, I really think that she should be referred, you know, into the mental health service so that she can get the right medication and the right help and treatment. And it's obviously, it's all part of the manipulation because once you frame her as having a mental health issue, everything can be covered up you know she's that everything she says can be denied everything she says can be belittled or can be brushed away you know I remember I was working years ago on a helpline for women who had who were in domestic abuse and or had been raped and I remember a woman ringing and she, she'd been having therapy with us on and off for a couple of months and it was going really well and she was getting ready to leave this guy and then he turned up at the service and the service had a secret address. I don't know how he found us, but he did. When you say service, do you mean therapy? He showed, Yeah, he showed up at the... Cl- it's like a, it was a centre. We call them a sexual assault and rape centre or a domestic abuse centre. So they're, they're essentially clinics. So he showed up there at her... He did. She wasn't actually in there at the, mo- at the time. I think she might have been at work or something like that. And he turned up and he played this sort of oh, I'm so glad that I found this service and I'm really concerned about my wife and I just feel like I need to talk to one of you and I just need to give you this information because she's not been taking her medication. You know, she's on this these antidepressants and antipsychotics and I'm just really worried that she's not been taking her medication. I've been telling her every day she needs to take it and she's been getting delusional and she's, you know, she's thinking things that aren't real and, she, and all this. And I'm, th- I'm listening to him thinking, yeah, right. As if, as if I'm going to believe that. She's very lucky that he came across somebody like me because I could see right through this guy. I knew exactly what he was setting her up. He was deliberately setting her up. So it sounded like all of her disclosures to us were because she wasn't taking this medication. I knew what he was doing and he did it in such a, like he cried. I'm so worried about my wife and I just want the best for her and all this. Like I knew exactly what he was doing, but it worries me that so many of these perpetrators that approach it in this way are very, very good at manipulating professionals as well, aren't they? They are. We're going to pause the conversation here and continue it next week. So please stay tuned. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, 
click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.